tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Dan Spihar. Dan is an independent researcher and owner of Nine Lives Data and Research Services. Much of his work has focused on the management of community cats. Dan has co-authored eight published peer-reviewed articles on the subject and has presented findings at national and regional conferences. Dan is co-founder of the Together Initiative for Ohio's Community Cats. Dan leads the Together Initiative in advocating for the humane management of Ohio's community cats via public education and efforts to promote collaboration among stakeholders. Since 2013, Dan has served as a senior humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, a role that allows him to work for the humane treatment of all animals via public policy initiatives. Dan holds a bachelor's degree in communication and a master's degree in animal policy. Dan, I'd like to uh, welcome you to the show again. <laughs> Thanks, Stacey. Pleasure to be here. So Dan was with us about five years ago. It's amazing. It's been five years. So uh, for folks that are interested, we'll make sure we'll put a link in the show notes to his past interview with us. But first and foremost, it's been a while. It's been five years. So how did you become passionate about cats, Dan? Well, just briefly, uh, always grew up with cats. We always had a cat or two in the house. And as an adult, uh, once I had my own place with my wife, um, we had some community cats that came around while we were having some work done on the house. And this was about 20 years ago. I investigated the best way to handle it and encountered trap, neuter, return. Utilized that at, at my house and then again later at a relative's house where there were many more cats. And it worked it worked just fine. And so I became an advocate for it. And later on, when I got a master's degree and did my thesis on the management of community cats in Ohio, that's why I selected that topic. And then since then, I've gotten involved with some research uh, in that area. And uh, it's, it's confirmed uh, what I experienced myself uh, with TNR. Excellent. Well, it's wonderful to hear somebody who sort of became passionate through TNR. I mean, we're all passionate. We, you know, we had Fluffy when we were a kid, you know, when we were kids and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it gets me all excited to go to a location where we've had colonies of cats. You go there and you don't see any cats. That's like makes me so excited <laughs> because I've seen so many situations where I go and there's a dumpster full of cats and they're coming in and out and there's beer bottles all over the place and and I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. We don't need to see this anymore. So I go behind a restaurant. I go behind a grocery store. I don't see cats. It's very exciting. So yeah, it is. it's really, that's, it, it. it's funny because I don't think many people in this world feel that between that. And I also, I love large parking lots to park a mobile spay neuter clinic. I'm yeah. always looking for parking lots that can hold big RVs for spay neuter clinics. It's the simple things in life that make me get all excited for sure. So thank you for sharing that story. That that is that's great. So you're obviously you're in Ohio. You've gotten involved with the whole community cat situation in Ohio. Tell us 
about this booklet, uh, Identifying Ohio's Community Cat Resources. Tell us the story of how this project got put together, what it's all about. Okay. I'm the co-founder of a group called the Together Initiative, as you mentioned. Uh, what we do is we promote education and collaboration. And we got together with another group in Ohio called Ohio Animal Advocates. They deal with uh, helping animals of all species in Ohio, but one of their focuses is community cats. It was kind of a natural that we were to team up. And we hold an annual community cat summit. But at this year's summit, we wanted to present a directory of Ohio's community cat resources. There are a bunch of lists out there, but none of them really seem complete. So we said, well, let's put together a comprehensive list. And then we thought, well, once we have that list, why don't we see how those resources are distributed across the state? And maybe we'll put together a report for the summit. So once we got involved, we consolidated five lists that we came across. We had a list, OAA had a list, and there were several others. And then we reached out to uh, all the contacts we had in terms of animal welfare organizations in the state that either deal with community cats or we thought might deal with community cats, or at least in the fields and probably were aware of what was happening with community cats in their area. So there were 325 of those organizations. We emailed them up to five times each and asked them, do you provide any resources for community cats? Or if not, do you know of another organization in your county or maybe in a neighboring county that does? So we could add those to the list. We had about a 15% response rate. So we're able to add about a quarter of the total number that we came up with to what we consolidated uh, from the five lists that we put together. So in total, we came up with 182 community cat resources in the state of Ohio. And we broke those down into two categories. One, a spay-neuter resource, which meant that organization either did surgeries for community cats or they directly provided a connection to get those surgeries done, whether either in terms of vouchers or holding spay-neuter clinics that people could bring community cats to. Or the second type of organization is what we call the TNR organization. Those organizations either trap or transport or return cats, or they loan trap the people to do that themselves. So of those 182 organizations, 107 were of the spay-neuter variety, and 75 were uh, TNR organizations. But once we had that information, uh, we calculated, we sorted that information by county, and then we calculated a ratio for each county in terms of how many residents lived in that county for each available resource. So let's say there were 100,000 residents in a county, there were two resources that would be 50,000 residents for each available resource. And then we grouped the counties across the state, there are 88 counties in Ohio, into tiers, five tiers. Uh, The first tier were uh, counties where there were the fewest number of residents for each available resource. And we said the maximum there would be 50,000 residents per resource. Tier two was 51,000 residents to 100,000 residents per resource. Tier three, 101,000 to 200,000. Tier four, 200,000 or more residents per resource. In tier five, we call those resource deserts. So there were no resources at all that we could identify in those counties. And then what we did is we took a map of Ohio. We color coded those tiers on a map. Um, So what were the results? Um, Statewide, we found that there are an average of two resources per county. 
So that's both TNR and spay neuter combined, Cooper County. And that turned out to be about 65,000 residents for each available resource in the average county in Ohio. If we look at that by county, about half of the counties were on tier one. So they had the fewest number of residents that were utilizing or could potentially utilize each resource. That was 49%. And then 17% of the counties were on tier two, 11% in tier three, and 2% in tier four. So in those three middle tiers, they averaged 69,000 residents for each resource, up to 226 residents per resource, 26,000 residents per resource. And then one in five or 21% of the counties are deserts. There were no resources for community cats that we could find at all. That meant 88 of Ohio or 18 of Ohio's 88 counties were community cat resource uh, desert counties. And those were all smaller rural counties with average populations of under 40,000. And we found that 11 of those 18 counties were in the southeastern portion of the state, which is known as Ohio Appalachia. So we drilled down a little further. We said, well, what about just spay-neuter resources? Because without spay-neuter resources, nothing else really matters because you're not going to get any surgeries done. We found that there were, of course, the 18 counties that had no resources at all were also spay-neuter deserts. And then there were six additional counties that had no spay-neuter resources. They might have TNR resources, and they would have to go out of county to have their spay-neuter surgeries done. So 24, 27% of Ohio's counties were uh, spay-neuter resource deserts. And we found that size was less relevant in these additional six counties, as only one was a smaller rural county, and the other five was a larger uh, county. And these six counties, they range in size from 29,000 residents up to over 300,000 residents. And we found they were clustered in two areas of the state, again, the southeast area, and then the west central area of the state. So then we looked at one last thing, and then I'll stop for a moment. Uh, we looked at how these deserts related to median family income. So of the 18 counties that had no resources at all, or the complete resource deserts, 72% of those were also in the bottom third for median family income in the state of Ohio. Then when we add those six additional counties that were spay-neuter, deserts, there wasn't as much of a relationship to being into the bottom third as only one of those counties was in the bottom third. The other five were either in the middle or the top tier as far as median family income goes. And I think what that shows is that the veterinary shortage, which we might discuss a little bit later, really impacts counties of all stripes, um, not just the counties that are of the lowest income and have no resources, even in some of the larger counties, um, it's impacting those counties as well. I do have some takeaways. The major takeaways that we found was, first of all, we, we were able to come up with this uh, directory that either residents can use who want to manage community cats or policymakers can access to see what available resources there are in their areas. Uh, but in terms of the numbers, um, again, one in five counties in Ohio are complete resource deserts. For community cats. Um, but at the same time, interestingly enough, none of Ohio's 10 most populous counties, remember we said that 18 counties were all small rural counties, even the 10 most populous counties, none of those were on tier one that had the ratio of the fewest residents utilizing their resources available. 
what that tells us is that resources in the larger counties are not necessarily proportionate to the number of residents in those counties, even though on an absolute basis, they have the most resources, they're still asking those resources to support a large number of residents. Um, a next, another takeaway is that one in four of Ohio's counties are spay-neuter deserts for community cats, so even a greater uh, number than just resource deserts overall. Um, and again, clustered in two parts of the state, um, which were mostly small rural areas, but even Ohio counties with the, that are home to the five largest cities, Columbus, which is the capital, Cleveland, which is a very large city, Cincinnati, which is a large city, Toledo, and Akron, they average over 200,000 residents for each community cat spay-neuter resource that they have. So that's really asking a lot of these spay-neuter resources. And it can have implications in terms of wait times to access those resources or being able to access them at all. So that's another one of the major takeaways. And then the most vulnerable communities, as we said, 72% of the resource deserts were also on the bottom third for a median family income, are the most heavily impacted by this efficiency of resources for community cats. But that being said, again, even the more populous and wealthier counties face significant challenges in that area. And then lastly, this study is really just an important first step because all we were able to really do was tally the resources in each county. We weren't able to really consider what the capacity of those resources were or where they were located in the county, how accessible they were necessarily. Um, so we need more research, research in order to survey organizations about the services they offer and the numbers that they were able to put forth, the data that they're able to collect. And we really need to explore the unique needs and challenges that exist in the different parts of the state that so we can uh, you know, better understand those. We'd like to be able to research uh, or survey those organizations again to find out what challenges they face and what ideas they have for remedies to those challenges. We'd like to be able to do that in the future so that when potential remedies are offered or additional resources are created, they can be targeted so they can be uh, most effective. But those are the major takeaways. Wow. There you go. Master class right there on okay. uh, evaluating your, your situation in your state. That's fantastic. And of course, obviously, we're going to have the link to this document in the show notes so folks can take a look at it. But it's really fantastic, the information that you've put together on this, learning a tr tremendous amount of, of information. And you actually answered my question before I even asked the question about sort of the weighting of the resources, because there was an analysis done of Massachusetts, and we have quite a few mobile spay-neuter clinics. And I know Ohio has some mobile spay-neuter clinics also. And like one, one stop where we visit once a month was counted almost as the same weight as a fixed clinic that was open five days a week. You know, the pin on the map was weighted equally, and they are certainly not equally weighted. And the other topic that you brought in in this conversation, too, was, you know, understanding that the the absolute numbers aren't the same for the size of the population. So urban areas need a lot of spay neuter clinics to handle the population of cats that are in that community versus that rural area, you know, may handle a one day a week type event or something like that. And also 
talking about 200,000 cat population in an area where there's been a long tradition and history of TNR and a lot of high volume spay neuter for own cats, their carrying population for spay neuter may be less, you know, than what I'll call virgin territory, where you really need to have overcapacity to be able to kind of really do a big, big bang type situation, a spay neuter or spay a thon in that community to make that big impact. You know, and then you're working into that maintenance mode. So there's all this organic flexibility that goes on in in each region, depending on what the programs have been like. Did you see that within the within the state of Ohio? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those I wish we had the bandwidth in order to do you know what you're saying about waiting, and we'd like to do that in the future if we can. But just to give you an example, talking about um, the capacity of the different resources, we have a. a Birkin Mortar Facility High Quality High Volume Clinic in uh, Stark County that's called Alter Clinic. Just for example, they do 2,930 surgeries a year. They did last year in 2022. We have the Rascal Unit, which is a mobile clinic serving 22 counties. They did 1,229 surgeries last year. And then we have Litting County TNR, which is a mass style, a pop-up clinic that they, you know, rent out a facility and they come in and they the weekend where they're doing surgeries all weekend long and then they tear everything down and the building goes back to the use that it had you know six the other six days of the week they did 671 surgeries and all these groups are terrific you know they're they're doing a fantastic job um and they're 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 doing absolutely the most that they can do but it just shows you the variability and you know if we just tally a spay neuter resource as a resource then you don't understand the context and the, the variation between them. Right. And then just to give perspective from a large brick and mortar spay neuter clinic, like in Cincinnati, isn't there a big spay neuter clinic there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they do a terrific job and we group these resources by County and that doesn't necessarily reflect the service area of the resource. You know, it may serve multiple counties, it may be right on the border of the county. So, you know, even though it's in one county, most of its patrons are from another county. You know, we, we group by county because it was the most practical way of doing it. Um, but that's not necessarily reflective of the resources uh, service area. Do you need expert help taming feral kittens for adoption? Watch the Taming Feral Kittens and Cats full-length workshop video now available for free on the Urban Cat League YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and search Urban Cat League to see all of their videos to benefit community cats. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay-Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs, create cases for your clients and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are 
You know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. So if I'm on a like a board of directors or if I'm on a foundation that wants to give money to help support a community cat initiative, lots of information here. I can say, you know, well, this this area, you know, is lacking in these resources. So where's that next step? How do you take this information and then sort of turn your passion for cats into action, you know, put it in action? So, you know, what, what do we say? Okay, we need to be able to provide a standing clinic in this community to assist X amount of cats, at least for this period of time. How do we make that step from from this document to that? I was kind of talking about maybe going back to the whole state and and taking a deeper dive and trying to provide more information, weighted information. But if you're looking in a specific area and you look at this maybe three county area and you see there's 10 resources in those three counties, it may be to go to those resources in those three counties and ask them, you know, what are what is your capacity right now? How many surgeries are you able to do? You know, what are you saying? Does that does it seem like you're overflow every week or every time you hold a clinic? Or are you, you know, you're not utilizing all your spaces that you have available? Um, and then going to the TNR groups in those areas and saying, hey, how long does it take you to get an appointment? You know, how far out can you just walk in or do you have to have an appointment? Um, and then maybe that would be a more reasonable deep dive into just one county or a few counties and, you know, trying to maybe do the whole state as I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Based on your knowledge, though, through this research, I mean, I've done so much work in Massachusetts. I could tell you what communities, you know, we really need to focus on and really focus on trying to get those initiatives put together. Based on your knowledge with regards to Ohio or there, I know you mentioned the southeastern section of the state. Would that be like, you know, if if Dan had a million dollars, where would he put the money in Ohio for cats? Yeah, there were those two clusters, really. The southeast portion of the state, which is known as Ohio Appalachia, it borders West Virginia and parts of Pennsylvania. And then kind of surprised me a little bit was that west central part of the state um, where the other 11 of the 24, 12 of the 24 spay-neuter, community cat spay-neuter resource deserts. Again, this study focused on community cats. So you could you could do just a general spay-neuter resource desert as well. So this is a little more specific. But that West Central area as well, plus just as you talked about, the urban areas. Um, just because you have 11 resources in Cuyahoga County doesn't mean that you have enough. Uh, you know, if they're each serving over 200,000 people that could potentially bring in uh, community cats. So I'd say the urban areas and, you know, those two pockets um, in the state would be my first Arrogance. So, you know, one of the things that I've created is this community cat pyramid and trying to share with folks that it's really important to really work on that base and ensuring there's a lot of spay neuter opportunity for the owned cat population. And then that that next layer up is the um, the community cat TNR in there. In your research, do you get a sense that that there is a greater ratio of opportunity for the owned cat 
to get spayed and neutered versus the community cat? Or do you feel that there's, you know, a different relationship there? Um, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to actually mention your pyramid myself. Um, yeah, I'm an admirer of that. I, you know, all these things are really interconnected is because, as we know, pet cats that aren't sterilized are a source of community cats, certainly. And then many community cats, especially in certain urban areas, are loosely owned cats. Um, so you, some people would consider them their pet. So these levels of your pyramid are all important. You can't really look at a vet shortage or a access to care shortage without considering community cat resources, because if you leave that out, then, you know, that's a major component that's not going to be addressed. So you brought up the, the loaded word there, veterinary shortage. How is Ohio dealing with the vet shortage are, are in your research and just sort of, you know, in the groups that you are involved with? What are you seeing out in Ohio with regards to the, the challenges with technicians, veterinarians? even, you know, administrative practice managers and, and those folks, it's that it, it seems to be nationwide, but share what you know from Ohio. Well, I, I can tell you that, you know, we're, we're experiencing that just like uh, the rest of the nation. Like I mentioned, some of these wealthier, more populous counties, um, you know, whereas the profile might be a small rural county, you think would lack resources, because there has been a longstanding perception in Ohio that there were pockets in these areas that lacked resources. But even in these more well-to-do and counties that have greater populations, they're experiencing these uh, lacks of veterinary care um, for community cats. And I'm sure that's for our own cats as well. Um, there has been a, a unique thing in Ohio where, um, you know, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but uh, one of the suggestions at our summit, we did kind of a brainstorming session where we asked people to put forth ideas in terms of how to address the vet shortage and access to care. Um, and one of the ideas was to um, reduce student loan debt or provide financial incentives for uh, vet school graduates in exchange for performing predetermined numbers of sterilization surgeries. And I know there's been some legislation uh, passed recently uh, that addresses that um, in Ohio. So that, that could be a model for other areas. And uh, you have a veterinary school at Ohio State, I believe, right? So you yeah, I believe that's the only one that's in the state. Yeah, lucky to have a veterinary school because there there are only I think like thirty five veterinary schools out there right. across the country, and there's what one hundred and twenty five law schools. So right. it's a bit of an interesting, um, you know, and, rate and one of the other ideas that's been bandied about, I know, is increasing, uh, you know, class size at these uh, veterinary schools. And I, I heard the dean of the OSU Veterinary School recently on a podcast, and he mentioned that, you know, they've increased class size as much as they can with the facilities they have right now. So they're look they're looking at, they have their own task force, and they're looking at other ways that they can um, expand the number of students that they can enroll. And they're looking at perhaps even targeting some of these pockets where there are shortages of veterinarians, because really, if if let's say you're a potential veterinary student and you don't have any exposure to veterinarians handling or veterinarians at all, maybe in your county, but what is, what's the likelihood that you're going to aspire to be a veterinarian? So if they can go into there and into some of these areas where there are no veterinarians and create incentives for students to attend veterinary school and go back to those areas and then open up practices, um, that would be another way, kind of a long-term way of uh, addressing those issues. 
Right. And then, you know, secondarily to that, unfortunately, the veterinary technician schools have been closing quite substantially and the class sizes have gone way down. Uh, the cost of becoming a, a veterinary technician certainly is not the cost of what it is to be a veterinarian, but the pay for a veterinary technician is not what the pay is for a veterinarian either. Um, and I, you know, I hear reports about uh, veterinary technicians not being fully utilized in the practice. And so I think there's a whole generational shift of level of responsibility for those technicians so that they have opportunity to grow and increase their responsibility in the practice. And then the veterinarians are able to do the veterinarian business that they need to be doing. And that will give greater job satisfaction. You know, one of the things that most people are looking for is like professional development, mentoring, you know, intellectual stimulation so that, you know, you're not bored at your job all day. And I will tell you, I mean, spaying and neutering cats is a repetitive job. It's a, you know, but there are tweaks and little bits and pieces within it that make it very unique. Um, certainly dealing with the public is a unique experience. And, you know, every cat, regardless of whether community cat, indoor, outdoor cat, owned cat, you know, we have an attachment towards these cats. Um, but helping the technicians create that that liaison and that bond and that relationship with the person to have their first step to access to care for that cat. I mean, how many people have trapped a community cat outside and potentially brought that cat inside after it's been spayed or neutered, too? Yes, we return a lot of them, but we also break down and say, oh, it's cold outside, Fluffy. Come on in. You're spayed and neut or neutered right now, so you can come into my house. So, Perfect. you know, it's it just creates a greater opportunity, you know, for everybody. But, you know, giving those technicians more of a, a chance to participate as like a leader in that case, I think is really a next step for all of us. And obviously there's efficiencies in the practice, efficiencies in the system that can also help us be able to to do more cats, um, you know, early age spay neuter, uh, fixed by five, you know, spaying a little kitten Spaying a cat that's not pregnant is a lot easier than spaying a five-year-old pregnant cat that's on our third litter or whatever. So, right. you know, trying to make sure that we get those cats in the practice so that they can save time. Um, and even if it is to save time to be able to get out of work a half an hour earlier, that's great. People need to recover. They need to balance. They need to, you know, have that happen. So private practice, nonprofit, I'm all for efficiencies at all levels so that we don't burn out. Um, and that we're able to give more where it's in, where it's, in, it's important to do that. Right. Um, but anyway, Dan, you know we know we've known each other for years. You had the opportunity to write the paper, co-author the the research paper with regards to Newburyport, Massachusetts. Um, and before we close out, you want to just share with our listeners what your experience was in in researching uh, Newburyport many years ago. Yeah, that was the first case study that Peter Wolf and I did, you know, as you know, since you were there. Um, it's an iconic program that, you know, had been talked about by many people and reported here and there by different animal welfare organizations referred to. But there really wasn't any um, scientific research done. So we came in and we did a case study. You know, there weren't logs necessarily that were still existent. Um, but there were many other uh, bits of information that we were able to piece together, uh, newspaper articles, uh, meeting minutes, interviews that I did with the folks that were there at the time, and other things that we were able to put together a very firm uh, timeline of what happened. 
and uh, explain the narrative of what occurred over there, uh, that over 300 cats uh, were eliminated uh, over a 17-year period uh, from the waterfront. Um, and, and that paper has been cited uh, 50 times now or so in the, in the literature. So it's, it's something that's uh, referenced by uh, all the folks that are looking at the effectiveness of uh, TNR. Are there other case studies that you've done since that period of time that are sort of similar to the Newburyport project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we did three others that were uh, specific to TNR programs. Um, one was in uh, Chicago, um, where they saw, uh, did, now they added colonies that were existing and they kind of started in their own backyard and then expanded out from their own backyard in the neighborhood. So from a four to 10 year period, they saw uh, 41% a decline in total population of community cats in uh, urban uh, Chicago. And then at the University of Central Florida, uh, Dr. Julie Levy had done a study there, and we came back and did a follow-up study. So I believe this is the longest time period that's ever been examined, a 28-year period. But on the campus of the University of Central Florida, uh, they saw an 85% reduction in the number of community cats. You can imagine the chances there of students bringing in cats and, you know, once it's time to go back home, they let the cats go outside. So to see an 85% reduction is, is pretty darn impressive. And then in the, on the San Francisco Bay, um, they saw a 99% reduction. That was the closest one to Newburyport. They, over the years, they had 258 total number of cats there. And they, by the time we did, came in and did our case study, they had one, one cat left. Uh, and then other thing I wanted to mention, just to refer back to your pyramid, um, you know, the second level is TNR and return to field. Um, you know, we did some studies and how combined TNR, community-based TNR and shelter-based return to field, how they impact uh, shelter intake and euthanasia. Uh, we looked at six programs that were called CCPs or community CAD programs that uh, Best Friends was involved with. Um, and over a three-year period, the median uh, reduction in feline intake was 32% uh, when they incorporated both the community-based TNR and shelter-based return to field. Uh, kitten intake went down 40%. And then in terms of euthanasia, overall feline euthanasia went down 83% and kitten euthanasia 87%. And then one other study we did was in Louisville that had a similar combined program, um, Karen Little's program there. Over an eight-year period, they saw almost a 43% reduction in feline intake and a 94% reduction in feline euthanasia. So it just goes to show when you can do these on a, even a grander scale on a community-wide basis, not only can you reduce the community cat population outside, you impact the numbers at the shelter where they can then focus on other things other than community cats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And one of the things that uh, that I certainly discovered from the year 2000 to 2008 was that, you know, just by doing the TNR part of things and not offering the spay neuter to the general public was making it really hard to move the needle in the shelters, um, especially for adult cats. You know, you might see some drops in the number of kittens going into the um, the sheltering organizations, but the adult cats were still there. And um, so if you really want to make an impact, you've got to volume, scale, and serve spay-neuter, all different flavors of spay-neuter out there, right? 
um, right. and make it really available. Um, and and unfortunately, we're faced with a lot of challenges now. I never thought I would be at this point. I thought we were going to just continue growing and growing our high volume spay neuter clinics. We're going to be next to every McDonald's. That was like my dream is like, not that I love McDonald's, but, you know, <laughs> it's to be, just to have them as as frequent around the country and available. And I thought we were on that trend back in the early 2000s. And um, unfortunately, we've had a slowdown, I think, in the number of clinics. And I've even heard quite a few clinics have had to close down because of staffing or funding or, you know, variety of issues, just manpower, people aging out and the, you know, boards of directors not being able to fill. So we have a whole range of different challenges going on for ourselves in it. And it is revolving around this veterinary issue too. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that people are trying to rethink and model things in other ways. Do you have any ideas on how do we solve this problem, Dan? And and then other than that, you know, if folks are interested in finding out more about about this, um, the booklet and the research, how would they do that? Okay. Well, we, you know, we have a number of the ideas that are out there, both what was uh, floated at our summit and then some other ideas that are out there in the literature and, and put forth by animal welfare organizations. So if anybody wants to access the report, those things are in there in the discussion. Um, they can access the report on our website, which is uh, communitycatsohio.org or on the Ohio Animal Advocates uh, website. Um, so, or they can talk, contact me um, at uh, communitycatsohio at gmail.com and I'd be happy to uh, send them out a PDF of the report. Excellent. Anything else you want to share with our listeners today? Uh, well, it was just a pleasure being here with you again, Stacey. Um, community cats probably for hours, but um, uh, hopefully it doesn't take five years for me to come back, but it's, it's amazing that you've had so many episodes. I'm, it's so impressive, you know, that you put this together and, uh, that anybody at any point can, you know, listen to these conversations. Great. Dan, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show and we're going to have you on sooner than five years. So we'll have you on again. Thank you. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.